Welcome to the Fantastics Insider Baseball Podcast here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course at InsiderBaseball.com on the uh, landing page and of course on the baseball blog. Go check that out if you haven't, by the way. Uh, there are articles up with uh, preseason prep notes and analytics articles, and of course this podcast, pap- past episodes if you've missed any of them as well. That'll be fun to go back and dig into, Brandon, right? We've done a lot of good work so far this spring. Yeah, I know. Uh, already a couple articles of uh, really interesting stuff. Article post- posted a couple days ago uh, by Phil, and uh, it's got some good stuff to to get you ready uh, for the season or for the drafts, whether you've already done some drafts, whether you're about to do some drafts, whether you're in the middle of some drafts. Uh, good help there for you. All right, so we're going to tackle today on the podcast a subject that has been difficult, or I, I don't know, I've been kind of semi-avoiding it because we don't know much, and we're working in a real vacuum of news here in terms of the impending free agents, the guys who didn't get signed before the lockout started. We've got a bunch of them, and they're quality players out there, and of course, people are still drafting right now, and they've got to make decisions on these players, and I guess it's not super critical. I mean, there are some things that you probably should know. It only becomes critical if you're working in an only league, an AL only league or an NL only league, because there are some guys who are probably switching leagues at this point, and that makes these players a big gamble. But in those leagues, man, what a bargain you might be able to get on these guys. It's sort of uncharted territories for a, uh, uncharted territory for us just because this is such an unusual work stoppage. I mean, we haven't had a work stoppage like this you know, in almost 30 years, but, but even that work stoppage was different than this one. And the way this went down with uh, kind of a flurry of free agents before the lockout started, uh, but still a lot of guys left out there unsigned and, you know, now it's March and um, still a lot of key players unsigned. And, you know, I think there's sort of this expectation that, uh, hopefully the lockout ends soon. And, and let's be clear, we're recording this on Sunday morning. By the time you're listening to this, it's entirely possible the lockout ended. Um, and we <laughs> and you'll so. have a couple of signings. You might have a couple of signings because <laughs> that's those are right. Have, we're four weeks away. Once the lockout ends, those signings are going to have to happen quick. And I'm guessing I'm pretty sure there have been talks I, that, you know, it, they're pretty, they got to be pretty close to agreement. In fact, in some places that I believe that, and this is all speculation on my point, part that they have agreements in a lot of these instances, but can't do anything before the lockout ends. That's entirely possible. And I do think there's going to be, yeah, a flurry of moves that happen as soon as the lockout ends. Um, But I also wonder if that impacts some of the moves, if some teams, you know, want to make the move, even if in a normal off season, they wouldn't make the move, but they feel sort of the pressure to make the move. Um, and so does that lead to maybe some unexpected destinations for some of these free agents? Does it lead to unexpected contracts? I also wonder if some of these guys who, you know, in a normal off season would have signed some of these long term, some of the bigger name free agents would have signed some of the bigger contracts yeah. longer term say, you know, this is an unusual off season. I'm going to do sort of the bet on myself thing, sign a one or two year deal, uh, show that, you know, I have the skill set, whatever, to get one of those really big deals um, and, and then maybe bank that in a couple of years, which we've seen a little more frequently recently, those those shorter term deals, um, just because it's been such an unusual off season and, and maybe it would give them the opportunity to have a normal bidding war off season in a couple of years or so. 
The lockout has shown us that there are a couple of factions among Major League Baseball ownership, one of which are the super teams, the the rich teams, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, uh, the Yankees, teams that generally have their own TV packages, uh, work on large numbers in terms of getting people in the ballpark and selling merchandise and selling ads on their uh, TV systems and things like that. They are going to need to bring some people back. It's important to them. Then there's the group of teams that are working off revenue sharing. They're working off the competitive balance tax, and much of their money is brought in through that. So they're not particularly concerned how many people are in the seats. So they're not going to be out chasing these big name free agents. But if the Red Sox or Dodgers or Yankees, for example, are nervous about bringing people back into the seats, one of these signings of these players we're going to talk about would be would do the trick for them. And of course, in the negotiation, chances are the competitive balance tax is going to be raised. The number is going to be raised. We just don't know how much. We believe it's going to be raised. It depends on how uh, how strong the uh, owners stand and you know what they want to do with it. But we think it's going to be raised. So that's going to give them some more money for some of these players to spend on. Again, there are some big name free agents out there. So you're right. I think the negotiations are going to affect these. Uh, the CBA negotiations are going to affect the negotiations with the free agents considerably for some teams and just turn others off more. Unless, of course, they put a, a floor in a salary floor, in which case some teams got to spend $40,000 before the start of the season. I'm sorry, $40 million before the start of the season, <laughs> in which case, all right, let's go spend it on you know Trevor Story. Right. And there's other factors, the NLDH, with it, which at this point we pretty yeah. much know is going to happen. And so that does impact some things because that's 15 new positions in you know the National League that are you know now hitter only positions and there's going to be some guys who are permanent dhs who now end up on national league teams um service time rules may be adjusted new minimum salary is a possibility uh, it's, it's likely but what it's going to be we'll see I mean, it's just a bunch of things now being negotiated in the cba now from a fantasy perspective some of this stuff you don't have to go crazy about you don't have to you know, make major changes to your projections or to your rankings lists. Um, I don't think it's something that should just be ignored, though, at the same time, because there are changes. Um, we're going to see some changes to baseball. Even the expanded playoff, uh, you know, does impact things in the sense that it does keep a couple, a few more teams likely in it longer. So right. that impacts fantasy baseball. We're sometimes thinking about, um, guys who are on bad teams who might be traded midseason, all those sorts of things factor in. Again, some of this stuff is not stuff that I think you have to think about heavily or go crazy about. Um, but I also just don't think this should be ignored. This is a factor in your evaluations. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's where I was about to go. I think we tend to, I think more often than not, we tend to overplay this waiting game. In other words, I got to see where this guy signs. Well, a lot of these guys that we're talking about are pretty good quality hitters, and they're going to hit no matter where they are. We should have learned this lesson last year with Nolan Arenado moving from Colorado to St. Louis. Yeah, of course, there's going to be some diminishing in the power output uh, because Colorado is a hitter's park. It's a power's park, but it's not as much as you would imagine, and it's certainly not enough to pass on some of these guys. However, let's start out with Carlos Correa because what you're looking for in these situations are extreme changes in circumstance. I, I remember on the starting pitching side thinking that, well, Kevin Gaussman is going from San Francisco to the American League East in Toronto. And we say Toronto, and Toronto is not as big a hitter park, hitter's park as we generally think it is. But it's not just Toronto. They're going, he's going into Camden Yards. He's going into Yankee Stadium. He's going into Fenway Park. And he's going against good lineups. That's a significant change to me and changes my valuation of the player. Carlos Correa going from Houston to 
possibly Detroit, which is the top rumored destination for him right now. That's a change that I would consider that affects his valuation to me. Yeah. And it is tough. This is again, like you said, because we can sit here and go off the rumors and go off what the reports are. And Detroit is very possible, but not a guarantee that Carlos Correa right. ends up there. And so it's, it's difficult, you know, in that sense. And that's where I think you have to, what I did, what I tried to do with some of these free agents, unless we really kind of know where they're going is not necessarily peg them for where we think they're going to go, but peg them for a little more neutralized of where they were. So, you know, Minute Maid Park is is an offensive park, not as much as some people think. It, it's pretty good for like home runs, um, and, and so that's something to factor in. But overall, offensively, it's a good park, not a not a phenomenal offensive park. Um, and it, it played that way for Correa. Um, more power he did have at home, but actually a better at batting average on the road. Um, I really just. <laughs> Would you consider Carlos Correa a disappointment? Not a bust, of course, but number one overall pick in the draft. He was a top prospect. Um, he's been good. Has he been great, though? Would Would you consider him a disappointment? Disappointment is not the word that comes to mind. I just think somewhat overrated. We tend to think of him as part of this uh, very strong shortstop class right now. And the fact of the matter is he doesn't do anything exceptionally well. He's going to give you 20 homers. You can find that at shortstop position. There is no speed anymore. I mean, he's not going to, he's not going to go double digits stolen bases on you. Chances are he may just chip in less than five actually. And he'll hit for average at times, but both that power and his average has been a little bit volatile. You can't go pay for a guy who's going to be above league average and batting average with him because he could throw up, at, well, he's going to throw up 260-something, which is going to be above league average. So he's going to be a little bit of a help there. But you don't buy him based on that. You, you buy him based on, well, he's a 20-homer shortstop. Well, you know what? There are a lot of those guys out there, a lot of which with more speed. And Detroit has done some great things. And again, I'm still assuming he goes to Detroit, which is probably a folly at this point. Detroit is a good and developing team, but it's not the Astros. Does it put him in better situations for run scoring? Does it put him in better situations for RBIs? I don't think so. I don't think any of those things are pluses. Carlos Correa is a guy that, for me, I take a little bit later if I need a shortstop, but I'm going to be trying very hard to get a better contributor uh, than Carlos Correa at, at that position. And when you say, you, you know, um, you have to, you know, you're talking about what you pay for with Carlos Correa, obviously referring to a fantasy perspective, but even from a real life perspective, is Carlos, is Carlos Correa a, um, a guy you want your team spending? And we don't know what a salary is going to end up, but say it's $175 million, $200 million. It's only 27 So, you know, there, there's certainly a nice age to get him at if we're entering his prime. But uh, you want your team spending $200 million on um, when, like you said, there's been some inconsistency in his game. He has had some injury history. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's a good fielder. Um, that's nice and everything. But, uh, again, his bat has not been elite. So I also wonder, and, and this is pure speculation on my part, is Carlos Correa one of those guys who bets on himself a little bit and says, you know, this is an awkward offseason. I didn't get the bidding war I wanted for me in my year 27. Do I sign a one or two year deal with maybe a high AAV and see if I can really produce over the next year or two and get a bigger deal? I, it, this is pure speculation. I don't know if that's the case, but I'm just saying he he's a guy who it would make sense because he could get another contract at 29 years old and maybe 
that's after a, real, a couple really strong years and bank that into something really big. Um, again, pure speculation on that part, but he seems like a guy that that could work for. The thing probably about Carlos, a gr- probably a great sorry, strategy, but I'm sorry, it's probably a great strategy, but it's a gamble for him as well. Especially again, let's work on the the general assumption right now. Let's work on the assumption of Detroit. I don't know if I'd go in for a one year contract in Detroit, but I don't know if I want to sign for six years in Detroit either, to be honest with you. But uh, if he goes in for one year in Detroit and has an injury issue or comes up with a subpar season, that's going to make the next negotiation. In other words, the gamble that you're taking there in that situation is, is my price ever going to get higher than it is now? And is he going to go in and hit 26, 27, 28 homers in Detroit and in, in the AL Central? I don't know. That, that's a big gamble to have a career year there. It's a gamble, yeah, and um, ultimately, maybe he does end up signing a five, six, seven-year deal. Um, I mean, the thing with Carlos Correa is his quality of contact is really good, actually. I mean, he hits the ball hard. He has a nice barrel rate, um, makes solid contact, good plate discipline. Um, I think he's capable of being a better batting average guy, being a guy who should hit more in the 290s, maybe even over 300. Um, he hasn't demonstrated that. So I, again, it's not something that you can pay for in a fantasy draft. Um, I think he's capable of it. Um, the power, like we were talking about, just hasn't taken off um, like maybe you think it should. Um, you know, I, I think there's a nice floor there with power as long as he stays healthy. I, I think he's certainly a 20 home run guy um, with 25 home run, you know, possibility. Um, But is he, he hasn't shown that he's anything more than a 30 home run guy. I mean, that hasn't been something he's shown us. Um, Again, I think it's maybe in his bat. It's possible, Um, but it it just hasn't developed. Don't get me. He is a nice player. He's got a, when healthy, he's got a career 128 WRC plus, um, you know, he has one season. He hit over 300, a career high 26 home runs last year. Um, but he just, yeah, doesn't steal bases anymore. The 26 home runs is fine, but it's not something you can't get elsewhere. Um, I, I love the potential of Carlos Correa. I do still think there's a ceiling there that is, that is reachable. That's high. Um, but what are you paying for? Uh, Are you paying for that ceiling or paying for what he's delivered in the past, which is a guy who, like you mentioned, you can get elsewhere. The shortstop position is a fairly deep position. Um, doesn't provide stolen bases at all. He had zero the last two years. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that there is still potential for growth with Carlos Correa He's only 27, um, and maybe you could get his breakout year wherever he ends up. But, uh, but I think you have to consider what you're paying for. We were talking with uh, Sky on Sirius last weekend about, and on the podcast, the last podcast, we talked about, about approach with hitters. And one of the things that I like to identify is contract years. And in his contract year last year, he didn't reach for power. Well, I was going to say he didn't reach for power at all. And if you look at the numbers, he really didn't. There's not a lot of pull in there. There's not a lot of aggression. There's not a raising of launch angle. Uh, the only see, the only reason you see him reaching for power, the only thing you can point to probably is his exit velocity, which was over 90 for the first time in three years. I don't know what kind of injuries he was dealing with that may have uh, drugged that down, dragged that down a little bit. But to your point about betting on himself, you would have thought in a contract year, I would have seen a more aggressive reach for power. And, and again, there was a little reach because there were more fly balls on his scale, 34%. There was more pull on his scale, 36.7% than normal. So there was a little bit of reach. 
But I don't, he doesn't strike me as that type of guy who says, you know, I'm going to go out and hit 30 homers this year because it's a contract year or because I'm on a uh, bet on myself year. You know, what's interesting is I'll, I'll throw out that he had his best defensive year last year. Now, yeah. some of that might be health. Yeah. Um, because he has had some health concerns, but he was really good defensively last year. He's been a little inconsistent throughout his career defensively. Um, again, pure speculation. Maybe he said, you know, I want to show him an elite defensive shortstop uh, who, who, who's, you know, good enough offensively. I mean, I don't know. That's unusual. Usually you get the big contract with big offense, but, you know, defense has become uh, a bigger factor recently among some of these infielders. So, um, you know, maybe he worked hard on his defense last off season. Um, but uh, like I said, he has dealt with injuries. He was generally healthy last year. So I'm sure that played a factor in his defensive skills as well. And, um, you know, I mean, a team that wants, if you're talking about Detroit, you know, they got Javi Baez, they signed him to a long-term deal. Um, if you're putting Carlos Correa, Javi Baez up the middle, um, that's a pretty good defensive duo up the middle with some talent and some athleticism. So, um, you know, then you start factoring that into the pitchers you put together. Um, it's something I always look at and is analyzing fantasy is what's the infield defense looking like. So then you can start looking at maybe some ground ball pitchers and, and give them a little bit of a boost. So that's not a bad defense up the middle there in Detroit, if they do get Carlos Correa, but yes, ultimately you're not, you know, Carlos Correa was a guy, maybe when he first came up, I mean, again, number one overall pick, you would have thought would eventually end up with a $350 million contract or something along those lines that we've seen with some of these really big free agents. And um, that's not likely to happen, at least not right now. Are you happy with him as your shortstop? I mean, if you grab him as a middle infielder late and, you know, the ADP on him right now is middle of the seventh round, which I think is high. I don't want to spend for him there. There's other options at shortstop. Uh, not many are going to be there in the seventh round, by the way. That is a last option because most of the guys, I mean, uh, uh, Tatis, uh, Turner, Bichette, Story, who we're going to talk about in a second, Polanco, Semyon, Anderson, Lindor, Baez, uh, Juan DeFranco, Alberto uh, Montesi, even Xander Bogarts, who's kind of the same guy uh, with a little bit more offensive pop. Are you happy with him as your shortstop? You'll take him as a middle infielder in the double-digit rounds, but do you want to take him in the seventh and line him up as your shortstop, given the market the way it is right now? Well, I'll, I'll be completely honest in that I do have him as my starting shortstop on one of my drafts I've already done. Not saying I was crazy about it. I kind of look at Carlos Correa as sort of the end of a tier, which yeah. was that tier was ending and I needed to get a shortstop and I didn't have one yet. So I ended up with Carlos Correa. So it wasn't like I was you know, aiming for Correa, but um, I like Jorge Polanco, which in some drafts he's going after Correa. He's second and shortstop eligible. Um, I, I would definitely take Polanco over Correa. Um, in that draft, he was already gone. So then I kind of just felt like I had to take Correa. So no, I, I don't want Correa as my starting shortstop. At the end of the day, though, I certainly can live with it if I feel like I filled out the rest of my offense pretty well. And he's, you know, I know there's probably a poor choice of words, but maybe the weakest link on my offense um, I can, I can live with that. I think, I think there's a floor there with Korea. There, there's the injury risk, which you have to bake in a little bit, but when healthy, there's a decent floor. I, I, I don't think his batting average is yeah. going to hurt you. Um, he is going to get you 20, 25 home runs. You know, he, he's, even if he goes to a Detroit or something, he's still going to drive in some runs, score some runs. There's a, there's a floor there, but it's not 
the upside of some of these other shortstops that are, I mean, of any of these other shortstops that are going ahead of him. And I would, again, throw Jorge Polanco. You know, some people might take Jazz Chisholm ahead of him. I, I don't know. Yeah. Jazz Chisholm pr- provides the stolen bases that Correa doesn't. There's Bobby Witt out there. But again, do you want right. Bobby Witt as your starting shortstop when we can't be 100% sure Bobby Witt even starts the season on the Major League roster? Corey Seager is um, going to be available to you at that point. I mean, what round did you take uh, take him in? You know, that's a good question. Um, yeah. it, it was, I, I'll pull it up while we're talking. Um, I think it probably was about the seventh round. Mm-hmm. Um, but all those, yeah, all I, those shortstop I mentioned before are all ADP above the seventh round right now. Right. You yeah. Know, and Corey Seager I mean, is, a, is end of the fifth round too. So that's a guy you're going to have a chance on. Brandon Crawford, who we're going to talk about, is available at that point too. Although Brandon Crawford, just a few more stolen bases, a few less homers. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I still would rather have Correa than Brandon Crawford. Yes. Um, you know, Correa, again, I think the floor is much nicer with Correa than it is Brandon Crawford. Um, but yeah, once you end that tier before Brandon Crawford, um, I, I do think there is like, you'd rather have Correa over Glaber Torres, right? Yes. Uh, well, because the problem I have with Correa is inconsistency, not of the bat, but inconsistency of playing time. With sure. Gleyber Torres, I have inconsistency problems with performance. Right. Which and with the Yankees could lead to playing time inconsistency as well, plus injury issue, things like that. I'm not gaining anything with Gleyber Torres. What, and, he, and I think uh, Correa has a better floor. Pulled it up, Correa, I got in the eighth round. Yeah. And okay. so, yeah. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where I just, you know what? I needed a shortstop at that point. I didn't, best of the I rest. didn't like any of the guys after Correa as my starting shortstop, but it wasn't like I was aiming for Correa. I, I would much rather have, I mean, a, a draft I did recently, I got Boba in the first round. So yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that, that's what you're going to end up with. I think in a lot of cases is one of those top guys because they're, because many of the top two, three rounds are shortstops. So a lot of times you're just going to end up with one of the top shortstops or if it's Francisco Lindor, Wander Franco, you know, or Tim Anderson, you know, Xander Bogarts, like you said. I mean, all those guys are are, are top guys, um, top three, four round guys. So if you end up with one of them, great. I mean, any of those guys I think is is, is great as your starting shortstop, Marcus Semien, um, you know, those uh, even if it's Javi Baez, Javi Baez certainly always a risk with the batting average, but his home runs and stolen bases are pretty reliable, even in Detroit. Um, I think All right. I want to bring up the draft stolen. advisory program. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I want to bring no, up no, the no. draft advisory program in this instance, because it's a good illustration of what the draft advisory program does for you with Carlos Correa, because we have him projected at 544 mm-hmm. at bats, which again is, it's not, a, I'm not questioning the 544 at bats as a projection. I'm questioning paying for 544 at bats. You know, he's been relatively healthy except for the last two or three years. He's still young. He could put together a full season, you know, especially in what might be a, you know, show me year or it might be a, as you said, a bet on yourself year. Here, 26 homers, which is perfectly reasonable if he gets 544 at bats. As I mentioned in that Houston lineup, um, otherwise we haven't projected as 75 runs, 87 RBIs, which is a significant decrease from last year. 
All of that adds up to in our FDP, and that's the Fantistics draft position, which is not about where you should draft him. It's about, given our projection, this is probably what he's worth, where he should be drafted. The ADP is 709. The FDP is 2203, which goes back to my original premise on Carlos Correa. He's just another guy, especially at right. the position, right? Yeah, and so, I'm looking, sorry, and I'm looking at... Um, some of the numbers we may conflict just because I'm looking at a 15 team league. So that's my mistake. You're looking at the general fan tracks, but I'm seriously just like you, I have the fantastics draft software up. So we're both going off the same thing. I was just going off a 15 team league. So in my, even in a 15 team league, they have the FDP is 1407. You know I mean? That's, that's the 14th round of a 15 team league. Now, again, if you do want Correa, don't wait till the 14th round because you're not going to get Carlos Correa. That's not what no. it's saying, um, yeah. but it's just saying, like you said, based on the projections, uh, where he lands, and uh, that tells you a little something. I mean, you you made a good point looking at his, our projections for his stats is um, same amount of home runs he hit last year, and I think that's reasonable, even if he goes to maybe a worse ballpark. Um, I, I still think he's a 25-plus home run guy if he sure. plays all season, um, but he scored 104 runs last year. If he's not on Houston, which is arguably the best offense or one of the top two or three best offenses in, in the majors, um, they we have him pegged for 30, you know, a 30 run drop to 75 right. runs this year. And um, that's that's big. I mean, in a um, when you're taking a guy, you know, the one thing about Carlos Correa, if you're only getting 25 homers, you're not getting steals, you're getting a decent batting average, but maybe not great. We have him projected for 276. Um you would you like to get some runs. I mean, the 104 runs last year was great, and that, that's yep. valuable. Um, yeah, he produced but, very well last year, but re- the repeatability of that is in question, I think. Yeah, and and again, we, we just don't know whether it's Detroit or elsewhere. We don't know where he's at. We don't know how good the lineup's going to be. And so, um, yeah, I, I do think you have to, again, not overvalue, go crazy about, but I think there's a little bit of a knock you got to give in your projections, however you're doing them or your rankings of Carlos Correa because uh, he's very unlikely to end up back in Houston. One of the best aspects of the draft advisory program for me is that we have these impressions on who Carlos Correa is. And he came up with, again, with that elite young shortstop class that changed the position. It it wasn't as deep a position, always as deep a position as it is now. And then these good young stars came along. We tend to group Carlos Correa in there and he's a very good young player. He's probably, you know, it's not unfair to say he's an all-star level player, maybe a little bit less than an all-star level player in most years, but he's capable of an all-star level season. There's no doubt about it. But what the a draft advisory program does that's really good for me is that he, they reduce it to a player A, player B type of situation. And sometimes I need that because you have to be able to wash away your impressions of Carlos Carrera as part of this elite group of shortstops because he's not necessarily in that in the elite group of shortstops from a fantasy standpoint. Because, again, he's going to hit your mid-20 in homers. If he gets enough playing time, that's fine and it's great. But you can get 20 homers almost anywhere else at the shortstop position and throw in 10 or 12 steals on top of it. So it's about value of player A versus player B. The draft advisory program is clinical. It takes all these impressions out of it, which is something I need to check me because of my biases and because of uh, you know impressions we have of the player going forward. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing is ultimately in 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 that draft I mentioned, for instance, I, I drafted Carlos Correa because I felt like he was at the end of the tier. Some people might even argue 
that they're, you know, it's however you value. You might be okay with Glaber Torres as your shortstop one, or maybe Dansby Swanson. A lot of people like Dansby Swanson to break out this year. Um, and our projections are kind to Dansby Swanson, much better than what you're getting out of Carlos Correa. And you could get Dansby Swanson um, rounds later. So Dansby Swanson's going to chip in a few steals. He, he stole nine last year. We project him for nine. So more than Carlos Correa. Um, and, you know, you don't, you didn't think of another former number one overall pick for what it's worth. Um, you didn't think of Dansby Swanson as a big power guy. He hit 27 homers last year. Um, we got a projected for 29. I mean, there is some power baked into Dansby that he is, he has kind of tapped into recently. Um, his batting average isn't great. Um, and probably I would say I like Carlos Correa a little bit better, but Dansby Swanson on a good team, it's going to score some runs, drive in some runs. You can get Dansby Swanson a few rounds later. Uh, would you, be okay with that over Carlos Correa? At the difference in price? Probably. Yeah. If I got to take him in the seventh round as opposed to the 10th round or at end of the 10th round, which is the current ADP for Dansby Swanson in a 12-team league, we're working on different league sizes. Yeah. But would you rather have a, a pretty solid mid-20s in homers or would you take 21, 22 homers and eight or nine stolen bases, especially out of the shortstop position? Especially, by the way, again, I'm not real happy with him as my starting shortstop. We're talking a middle infielder. And all bets are off, and I can get a guy who's going to hit 20 homers and steal me 10 bases pretty easily. Yes. Yeah, sure. I, I, yeah. I mean, if again, this is where uh, you have to factor in, do, do you, how important is it for you to get one of those top shortstops? And when I say top shortstops, I'm really talking about like the top nine or 10, because there's a bunch of good ones out there yeah. um, to get to be your shortstop one. And, and once you get one of those, if look, if you got... Xander Bogarts, if you've got Trevor Story, um, sure, I mean, take Carlos Correa as your middle infielder. That's that's fine, you know, or take Dansby Swanson yeah, sure. as your middle infielder. And th that I'm really, you know, we're referencing, do you want him as your shortstop? One. And that, I guess, is if you end up in your draft and however it may be and all those guys are gone because you were addressing other positions – um, I was, I felt almost the force to take Carlos Gray. I don't know if that's the right decision. I mean, the time will play out. It might not be because like I said, maybe I should have taken, maybe I should have waited at that point, taking somebody else around that time and, and waited on a Dansby Swanson. Um, if you end well, up in that the position where the tears winding down. Yeah. That's exactly the decision you were facing. How many teams in that league? 15. 15. Yeah. I mean, well, you kind of had to take them at that point. Yeah, I, I just felt like I needed a reliable shortstop. And, and reliable is, I guess, the word. Again, he has had some injuries. He was healthy last year. That's that's the good thing with Carlos Correa I'm referring yep. to. Um, he has had some injuries. So, you know, there there is some risk baked in. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I felt like I needed to make a move um, because well, that's I, I exactly that was winding That's down. exactly where he sits. There are 12 guys I can probably tell you that I'd want better than Carlos Correa as my number one shortstop. There aren't 15. Sure. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you were in exact. You were in that exact position, and that's where he sits in a twelve-team league. Then it becomes. Then you make a decision: Do I just wait at this point for my middle infielder, mm -hmm. or do I, you know, you know, Jazz Chisholm, uh, more of a second baseman, but may qualify in your league? You know, guy I'd much rather have than Kyle's career at this point at a middle infield position. Sure. Yeah, I, I would rather have Jazz Chisholm too. The stolen bases are are a factor. Um, Bobby Witt would be a problem for me just because we don't know he's going to be starting right with the big league team. And if that's your starting shortstop, you have to know that you, your guy's going to be playing. 
All right, Chris Bryant is one of the guys who was part of the Cubs sell-off last year, moved on uh, during the course of the season, free agent now, uh, 25 homers, 10 stolen bases. <laughs> Again, a little better. It's basically Carlos Correa with, with 10 stolen bases, but obviously a different position. He's a guy coming, you know, coming from uh, last season and coming from the Cubs, basically, I know Wrigley. I know how Wrigley plays, and Wrigley plays a little bit differently in the spring does, than it does during the course of the season. I'm almost not worried about where he lands at this point. I mean, if you got a really bad hitter's ballpark, I might it might affect my valuation of him a little bit. But I think Chris Bryant is Chris Bryant. He's going to be Chris Bryant anywhere. Yeah, and I mean, let, let's be honest. He did play the second half of the season in San Francisco, which is certainly not uh, the offensive park that Wrigley can be. Um, and he he still was basically the same player um, with the Giants that he was with the Cubs. He doesn't have big splits home and away in general. Um, His sort of approach plays basically anywhere. Um, You know, Bryant has, uh, again, I wouldn't say he's a disappointment um, by any means. I mean, he won an MVP. He was Rookie of the Year. He won a World Series. Um, He's had some really, really good years. Um, But he's a guy who sort of declined throughout his career. He's only 30. Um, he peaked with a within that MVP season in 2016, um, and followed that up with another strong year in 2017. Then injuries and consistency creeped up. Um, he has not returned to that MVP caliber at all that he was playing at at the beginning of his career. Um, Brian's a guy fantasy wise. His positional eligibility helps. I think that will be a factor in deciding yeah, his I fantasy love that, value. Oh, that way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He's got the nice eligibility. He's outfield eligible, third base eligible everywhere. Um, some places you might even get him like first base because he did play a little bit of that. Um, does he go somewhere to play one position? I, I think one of his valuable selling points is that he can play multiple positions, but you know, you don't know necessarily where he's going to go. Um, does he go somewhere they want him to add a position like first base? Um, something he has played a little bit of, um, you know, that, that could just be something that could either help or hurt his fantasy value down the line. Um, does he ultimately get back to being a 40 plus percent hard hit rate player? Does his barrel rate get back up to 11%? I think there's capability of that with Chris Bryant. He has dealt with a bunch of injuries and it's, it's hitter, uh, you know, hitter regressive injuries like wrist injuries. He's had arm injuries, shoulder injuries, um, things that have certainly affected his offensive output. Um, does he get healthy? I, I mean, again, I still think Chris Bryant has, more in his bat. We've seen it early in his career. He's still only 30. Um, but I, a little bit of it ends up with where he ends up. It um, depends on where he ends up. And then also just how healthy is he? The thing that bothers me about him, and it, it doesn't really bother me because I know who Chris Bryan is and I know what I'm going to get out of him. And I love the position uh, eligibility there. He's a great guy to have on a roster, especially with daily transactions, because he can help you fill out those off days really nicely and give you some flexibility on your roster. And he's going to hit mid 20 in homers and he's going to hit league average for you, contribute some runs and contribute some RBIs. Again, not particularly good at anything, but you know, pretty solid. 10 stolen bases are always a help. That exit velocity, sub-90 exit velocities throughout his career and a little bit lower than his beginning when he was 23-24 in Chicago. It was around 89 and close to 90, 88.2 last year. That strikes me as a guy, it's funny, it strikes me as a guy who um, has a low margin of error when it comes to power. But he, And by the way, he's only sustaining, last year it was 16.8 homer to fly ball to get those 25. He hasn't done that 
too often. It's been lower than that many of his years, and there's a potential, given the ballpark he ends up in or whatever other circumstances are just over the course of the year, if that home run to fly ball dips down to 13, 14, 15, although he's been above that most of his career, then you're going to get 23 homers. You're going to get 22 homers. You're going to get 21 homers, and you're probably overpaid for him at that point. He's a guy that I think uh, his value, not because of the ballpark, is important, you know, for his fantasy value for where he ends up. But I think the lineup around him uh, could yeah. matter. I saw one rumor out there that maybe Toronto, you know, makes a run at him and ends up signing him. Man, if he ends up in Toronto, that gives him a boost just because it's a great lineup and he's able to bump up those runs in RBIs, you know. Um and and as you were talking about before, he gets to play in some nice ballparks in the AL East. Um, now, I'm not really sure where Chris Bryant's going to end up. Um, this is one that is a little more shot in the dark. He's got Scott Boris doing his thing with him, and uh, I think they're he wants a bidding war, which is one thing that he didn't quite get in this abnormal offseason, um, Boris does for Chris Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I don't know. I mean, he could end up still back in San Francisco um, and there's a lot of places he could end up. So I'm not exactly sure where Chris Bryant ends up, but I think having a nice lineup around him would certainly help. Um, the 10 stolen bases are nice. That was his most though, since his rookie year. Um, so I don't know if you can necessarily rely on, on the sure. stolen bases. Um, Chris Bryant isn't a guy with elite speed, but he's a very smart base runner. So he picks his spots. Um, so I think if you have, you can bank on maybe six or seven stolen bases, um, the 25 homers I think is, is pretty reliable. Um, he's hit 25 or more in basically every year of his healthy career. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, Chris Bryant is a guy who he hits a lot of fly balls. He's got, you know, sort of uppercut swing. That's, that's been his thing, uh, high launch angle. That's what ultimately leads to the home runs because he's sort of shooting for the fences, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, a guy who doesn't hit the ball real hard. Um, and I don't think there's the upside of the 39 home runs we saw in 2016 anymore. Cause I just think injuries have sort of hampered him a little bit. I think his show I've said for years, I think his shoulder injury has just weakened his shoulders. I just don't think he has as strong of shoulders as he had when he first came up. Yeah, that's what the exit velocity tells you too. And uh, you know, his line checking was only 15 degrees last year. That's lower. That's a career low uh, for him at that point. So you're wondering what whether there's been an approach change there as well, or whether it's an injury problem because that's where shoulder injuries tend to show themselves. And the fly ball percentage was at 39 percent his first year, sub 40 percent. So if he's dealing with some issues, and those issues linger into this year. We can look for more of the same, and that just reduces his margin for error with home runs a little bit more, which puts that 25 homers that we're all looking for into question. The uh, Not the predominant rumor, but a prominent rumor is the Seattle Mariners, and that changes his projection a little bit too. That's a less than ideal place for him. Right, yeah, uh, definitely not an offensive ballpark there, and uh, AL West in general has a bunch of not great offensive ballparks, so totally. I mean, that would, that would change his projection – we're talking particularly power projection and, and even those runs in RBIs. I mean, I would I would be concerned about that. But uh, ultimately, is Bryant one of those guys that bets on himself? Uh, he's 30, so yeah. not as likely. And I know this was something that we've been looking for, you know, as a Cubs fan. You knew this was 
we were coming to this point where he was going to be a free agent and seek that long term deal. So I know that's what he's probably wanted, but has he earned it? Maybe not the deal he we thought he was going to get early in his career when, again, he was an MVP and looked like he was going to be one of the stars of the league. Um, he's he's not that anymore. He's a, he's a player in real life. I want on my team. There's value there with Chris Bryant, and I think he's a nice player. Again, floor. Um, I think the 25 home runs is pretty much a floor for him and a decent batting average and, and all that. He, he, he has a pretty good eye. He gets on base. Um, mm-hmm. a smart, he, he's smart base runner, but again, fantasy value wise, um, you know, he's, he's a fine player, but, um, a little bit different than Carlos Correa because third base is thinner. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I would be okay with Chris Bryant as my starting third baseman, um, because it's just a thinner position. Um, but, uh, but again, you know, I mean, he's not an elite player. Like again, he was early in his career. Now, especially with the flexibility on his, uh, his position that, that there's some value in that. I think, uh, I also think I'll be interested to see what the number is on the signing and what kind of market there is for him, because I think that's going to speak to the injury issue. Once some teams get some physicals, you know, maybe that speaks to an underlying shoulder issue, like you talked about, because this does look like one of those, um, you know, war of attrition, uh, performance arcs where, you know, there's some nagging injuries here, maybe not enough to keep him out of the lineup, but something that affects his power. And even despite his size, again, the margin for error isn't great. He's a sub 90 X velocity guy on average. Yeah. And and I do want to also point out, um, if you haven't drafted yet, uh, third base, there's a real cliff that drops off. <laughs> uh, just a heads up. Everybody should be careful about that. Um, and and Chris Bryant might, might be the end of that cliff. Um, you know, the, he's in our Fantastics draft software, sort of the eighth best um, third baseman uh, with, uh, you know, some elite guys in Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, and Manny Machado, um, Austin Riley, Nolan Arenado. Um, you know, then there's Adalberto Al- Mondesi is third base eligible, Alex Bregman and Bryant. Um, if you like Anthony Rendon, uh, you, you know, as your starting third baseman, he's right there behind Bryant, but then it's DJ LeMay, who a lot of questions there. Yeah. Um, you know, Yoan Mankata, a lot of questions there. So just be aware of that that um, I have sort of taken the approach of I don't want to lose out on Bregman Bryant tier. Um, now, if I get one of those top guys, fine. Um, great. But um, I don't want to lose out on that tier because you, you start to get into some tough territory. Uh, Cabrian Hayes, Yoan Mankata, Matt Chapman, all those guys have a lot of questions. Um, I, that's where I say, again, I'm okay with Bryant as my starting third baseman. And our projection is looking at 550 at-bats and 40 homers. It's a lot there, a lot there at age 30, but looking for a good performance from him. And uh, the ADP is 802, current blended ADP, our FDP is 408. So we're looking for him actually as the number four third baseman there. And again, it, very quickly, you're into Jonathan uh, India, you're into uh, Ryan McMahon, you're into Cabrian Hayes, you're into even Ryan Mountcastle, um, who has some a little bit of upside, but I think I'd rather I'd much rather have Bryant than Mountcastle. I think just just on floor based alone, plus the additional position qualification. Yeah, not to mention in some leagues those guys won't be third base eligible. India Mountcastle, yeah. so you know it's just something you might open up your, whatever your eligibility is in your league. You might open it up, and if you let the Bryant and I say Bryant Bregman, I kind of have them in a tier together. Um, some people like Bregman better, and 
that's fine. Some people might like Bryant better, um, whatever it may be. Um, it's just if you lose out on them. And again, if you think if you're OK with Anthony Rendon, OK, he's got a lot of question marks. He's had a lot of injuries recently. Um, so even if you put Anthony Rendon in that tier, whatever you, it may be, if you lose out on that tier, which you will, if you're in anything 12 team or more, because that's eight or nine, that's the eighth or ninth third baseman. Um, you know, there's, there's just a big, big drop off, you know, and again, uh, you know, maybe Ryan Mountcastle's eligible at third base. Maybe Jonathan India is, I know in some leagues they're not. Um, so you're sitting there with Mankata, Brian Hayes, DJ LeMayhew, Matt Chapman, um, Justin Turner, all those guys, Eugenio Suarez, all of those guys have a lot of question marks. Um, and uh, it scared me a little bit as my starting third baseman. That's why I try to target not to lose out on the Chris Bryant, Alex Bregman range. But if you want to wait a little further, if all you want out of the third base position is power, you're going to have a shot at Eduardo Escobar. You're going to have a shot at Matt Chapman, much lower than that. You're going to be looking at my guy, Josh Donaldson. You Josh can usually Donaldson, get it. Yeah. yeah, you can usually get him at a great price because there's so much age bias. And Josh Donaldson is just considered, you know, washed up at this point, but he's going to return 30 homers for you. Uh, Eugenio Suarez possibly could do that as well. It, it depends on how you view the position and what you want there. And for me, I'm just looking for power. So that gives me a little bit of freedom uh, to dig for some of these guys a little bit later in the draft. Yeah. And, and this is just where you, you have to have some sort of draft strategy when you go into your drafts. And um, that's why it's not it's not not wrong to, to let it go past the Chris Bryant Bregman range. Um, because if that's your strategy, that's fine. And, you know, you can also maybe pick up a third baseman off the waiver wire that, you know, I mean, last year, uh, Toro, Abraham Toro, who was really solid, you know, the second half, I picked yeah. him up and, um, you know, he was second, third base eligible. But, um, you know, not to say I would want Abraham Toro to be my starting third baseman this year. Um, but again, there are always options to take. Um, I've just sort of taken the approach of, of wanting to have, you know, Bregman, Bryant, that range. If I don't get the Nolan Arenado, Austin Riley, uh, you know, Manny Machado, Devers sort of player. All right. I think the headline free agent is Trevor Story, especially from a fantasy standpoint. Shortstop position, speed and power, exactly what we're looking for. Uh, but coming out of Colorado, and we had a lot of uh, pearl clutching and a lot of hand wringing about Nolan Arenado leaving Colorado last year. Uh, are we going to have the same type of concerns about Trevor Story? Well, I mean, Coors is certainly a haven for right-handed hitters. So, yes, I mean, you, you have to factor it in. I do think people go overboard with it. Um, Story does have a 258 average with a 227 ISO away, isolated power away from Coors. He has a 308 average and 313 ISO at Coors. So, yeah, I, I mean, and again, remember, I, I give these home and away splits – Almost every player hits better at home than away, regardless of their home park. You know, I mean, that's that's yep. just sort of so he should be. But that's that's dramatic. Uh, Two fifty sleeping in your own bed the night before is basically exactly. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Again, don't you know you don't read into the home away uh, away splits and say, oh my gosh, but but um, but yes, there's also a park factor. I mean, that that's undeniable. Um, there is certain yeah, there is some danger for regression. Um, I would argue, is it possible we saw some of that regression last year? Last year was a down year for Story. Uh, only hit 251, albeit he went 2020. Uh, but the average was down thanks to a 
BABIP that was 40, 50 points lower than his career norm. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, looking deep into some of his quality of contact numbers, there was a bit of a decline in like line drives. He wasn't really striking the ball quite as hard. But ultimately, I think there was a bit of bad luck last year. Um, you wonder if that sub 300 BABIP is a little more indicative of what we might see away from Coors. Coors is always going to have a higher BABIP. It's a it's a better batting average park. So everyone right. has a better BABIP in Coors. Um, so he if he goes away from Coors, his BABIP is likely to drop from career norms. But again, I think he had some bad luck BABIP last year. And so uh, is this maybe 300-ish BABIP or a little bit more around 300, more what we're going to see? So did we kind of see what Trevor's story is away from Coors, even though he was at Coors last year? <laughs> um, I, I think there's a possibility. I don't think there's a huge drop-off from the 251 he hit last year. I think he's a 250 hitter. Um, certainly the home runs, uh, 23, 25 home runs, 15 to 20 steals, I think you still feel pretty good about that even away from cores. Um, still, so again, is he the elite 40 home run, 25 steal first rounder that he was, you know, when he was in cores a few years ago? I don't think you can bake that in, but he's not also being drafted that way necessarily. Um, I still think he's a 2020 possible guy, but more of maybe a 250, 260 hitter. Um, so I don't think you need to downgrade him from last year's numbers that much. Uh, just maybe downgrade him from where he was three, four years ago. This is where we're talking about approach and I don't see any difference in the approach. You're talking about, uh, Babip going down around 300, his career is 336 and that's including the 293 from last year. So you're looking at, you're calling for a 40%, a 40 point drop of Babip out of cores. I don't know if I see the evidence for that. Uh, I don't, last year was he, everything looked very similar His exit velocity, his launch angle, his pull percentage, he hit more ground balls actually, and pulled the, you know, pulled a little bit less than in his prime year. So that BABIP should have been up a little bit. I think I'm tracking this all up to bad luck. He had a 13.9% home run to fly ball in cores. Of course it was 13.4% the year before. So at that point, even though we're throwing out 2020 quite often, that's two straight years of 13% home run to fly ball while playing in cores, by the way. So, you know, I don't, I don't understand where that's come from. Regression, I understand how you see it. He's only 28 years old. Why should there be regression at this point, though? Yeah, and and, and I think that's a good point. I, I said maybe that last year was indicative of what we're going to see, and, and that probably is a poor way of looking at it. I, I think you're probably right is I think there's a drop in Babbitt, but, but maybe not. What was his Babbitt last year? I pulled it up. 291? 293. 293. So, I mean, that is unlikely. I mean, he hits the ball well enough to have a BABIP above 300. And so maybe yeah, it's no more de- of a three. No decline in quality of contact. And in fact, you know, a few more ground balls, a career high in ground balls. And he's still got the speed. He stole 20 bases. BABIP should be up. You know, there's nothing that indicates the BABIP should go down. Normally, I just think there's a lot of bad luck built in there. Yeah, there, there is, you know, we could factor in maybe the fact with Arenado gone, he did see a little bit of a di- different pitch mix and less fastballs. Um, so, you know, maybe he doesn't have the same sort of, you know, um, 
He's not striking the ball as well against uh, uptick and sliders or curveballs or whatever it may be. I mean, this is this is reading deep into the weeds. It should not have been a essentially 60-point drop from the year before. Babip, I'm referring to. 60-point right. drop or s- almost 70-point drop from 2019. Um, I, I, that's just so dramatic. I think there's bad luck involved. So I do think you bake in a little bit of a drop-off at Babip from not last year, previous years. Because, again, Coors is going to be the BABIP heaven. Everyone's going to have a higher BABIP in Coors. Um, it, it's not just a home run park. It plays well every it, for everything. So he hit 354 BABIP, 361 BABIP the previous years. I think you bake in a little bit, but maybe that still means a 323-30 BABIP. Maybe even 315 if you want to go on the lower end. Better than yeah. last year. Um, so, again, two. 60s hitter, 270s hitter. Um, I just think, you know, maybe relying on the 290s he was in 18 and 19 um, is a little bit dangerous. But again, he's still got the speed. He's only 28 years old, like you mentioned, or 29 years old, I should say. Um, The power I still think is good enough to be in the mid 20s. Um, He's a 2020 guy who who could hit 260, 270. I mean, still really nice. You just cut to it, and I want to go there. You don't buy the batting average. You'll take the 270 or the 260 or 265 or whatever you get. And, of course, in his top years, it was 294. You buy a 25-20 shortstop. That's what you're buying at this point. And he's never been, you know, except in some of his better years, he's never been a big RBI guy. He's never been a big run guy. What you're buying there is a 25-20 guy. Can he do that outside of course? I think he can. Absolutely. Yes, and I think I think you buy that. Uh, and you're right. I mean, just don't buy the 294 average, I guess is my point. And, and maybe most people aren't. You're buying the 2520, which again, in his worst year last year, he still was basically 2520, 2420. So, I mean, you know, to get a 2020 guy, I mean, it's just so valuable in fantasy. May not be the first rounder again that he once was. He's still, I, I don't care really where he ends up. I think the 2520 you can bank on. Yeah, and that's all you really need. If you get 30 on top of it, that's fine. If you get 100 RBIs, that's great. If you get 90 runs, that's great as well. If he hits 290, excellent. I just want my 25 homers and 20 stolen bases, and I'll take what whatever else is, is gravy. The problem is, can you pay a good price for that 25 homers and 20 stolen bases? Well, um, again, there's a lot of value at shortstop, so that's, that's where, again, you, you know, do you end up saying – you know, I ended up with Bo Bichette. I could, I, I remember it came back in the second round. And I'm talking about a 15 team league. And I was like, Trevor Story was there. And I was, I really wanted Trevor Story, but I couldn't take Trevor Story after I already had Bo Bichette and have two shortstops as my first two picks. Um, but I do like Trevor Story. But you may end up with one of these other guys and just say, Trevor Story is not a guy I need because I have Trey Turner, I have Fernando Tatis or Bo Bichette or whatever it may be. Um, but I certainly think if you're sitting there in the second, third round, um, and, and, you know, you want to go the route of Trevor story as your starting shortstop, or maybe even end up as your starting yep. as your first offensive player. Um, you know, if you took Garrett Cole in the first round and it comes back and you have Trevor story sitting there in the second, round, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Cause if you're starting out with 25, 20, um, you're really starting out in a nice, nice spot. Blended ADP has him at the end of the third round, 311. That's a bargain. Take him there every day of the week. If he's sitting around at the end of the third round, even if I have another shortstop, 
you know, even if I have a top end shortstop, I'm taking Trevor Story, a 25 20 guy. And pr- again, with a pretty good floor, you can pretty much expect to get it. He, he's healthy, he plays all the time. Yes, he's moving out of cores, but I think there's a sale price this year because people are concerned on the drop off out of cores, much like we saw with Nolan Arenado last year. And I will say, you know, there he's going right around Marcus Semyon. I want him over Marcus Semyon. I'll put that do out you? there. I think oh, yeah. Okay. I yeah. I was going to say, do you? But yes, I'm going to take it because Marcus Semyon would have to, uh, how do I put this? Um, Marcus Semyon would have to outperform expect uh, my expectations to give me a Trevor Story season. What Trevor Story gives me is kind of expected. That's his floor. Marcus Semyon gave me a really great year last year and has some capability, but I'm not sure if I'm I'm paying for that again. I can't see Marcus Semyon hitting 45 homers again. I mean, this no. was a career year, um, which you know was a contract year for him. Yep, um, and he turned it into a, con- a good contract, good for him. Um, but I just I don't see Marcus Semyon as a 40 plus home run guy. Um, you know, now he's in Texas, which again is no longer the offensive park it once was. Um, I just don't see it. I, I still think Marcus Semyon's a nice player. I still think there is pow- power there, and he's going to get double-digit steals. Um, but I don't think you can buy into the 45 home runs. So I'm taking Story for sure over Semyon. I think there's certainly more upside with the stolen bases. I think the home runs end up being – I'll give the favor to Semyon, but I don't think it's that dramatic of a difference. Um, yeah, I, I want the floor with Trevor Story, regardless of where he ends up next year. Um, so to me, he's my fourth shortstop behind Tatis, Turner, and Bichette. That's Brandon Cameron, and I'm Lou Blassi. It's the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Subscribe if you're on those services because we're not following too much of a regular schedule here. So you want to you're going to want to know when we drop new episodes. You can also just go to <coughs> excuse me, insideofbaseball.com and they throw the episode right at you as soon as you sign on. And there are plenty of past episodes, lots of good information in there as we look at different indicators and look at different groups of players and <coughs> break down different players for you. Excuse me, one second. So go check it out there. And at InsideOfBaseball.com, we started our preseason prep articles. There are analytic articles as well as this podcast. And, of course, the free demo of the Draft Advisory Program, if you're not familiar with it, download it and set it up. It's a fully functioning demo with some of our first projections. have already been updated several times, but some of our first projections are in there, and you can set up your particular league's roster configuration and scoring configuration and see how it changes the top of the draft and look through and play with a lot of the features. You're going to love it. It's a very quick setup. It's a very... It's a very complex and thorough program, but it's incredibly easy to set up, especially if you're drafting NFBC right now and you're going in. You can There's a template for NFBC leagues, so you can just set that up right away and take a look at the top of the draft and see how the NFBC format affects player valuations differently than magazines or other you know, 12-team, 5x5 configurations and things like that. Very easy to check out various parameters in your league, including emphasizing stolen bases if you want to do that, or emphasizing power, or emphasizing a position. You can all do that with the Draft Advisory Program, so go check it out. Check us out also on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio, Saturdays and Sundays, 11 to 1 Eastern. This is the Fantastic Inside of Baseball podcast. Catch up past episodes on all your favorite podcast outlets and insideofbaseball.com, and we'll see you next time. Oh, yeah. Let's go.